Good morning and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I am Pittsburgh Current Editor and Publisher Charlie Deach and we have a really great show. I'm really excited about our guest today, um, political cartoonist formerly of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, which I'm sure most of you are aware of that story, but we're going to talk about it anyway today, Rob Rogers. Um, Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Charlie. Appreciate you uh, having me on. No, I, I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate uh, I appreciate all your good work. That's for sure. Um, so well, thanks for pr- thanks for printing it as well. <laughs> no, that was. I mean, you know, I mean, I I'm I'm sorry that you lost your job, but for us, timing wise, Rob, it was actually it was uh, <laughs> it was kind of a perfect fit because it was, um, and it really was a it was a no brainer for us. Um, and um, so it, it's I mean it's a it's a it, you, you've got you've got a voice um, uh, that needs to be put out there, and it would just I feel be it wouldn't be right. I know you you still have your syndicate, you still would have your syndication job, but I feel like it wouldn't have been right. Um, Bethany and I thought it wouldn't be right not to have you in Pittsburgh, so it was uh, it was an easy one for us. So uh, we're definitely well, glad to have you. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that because I, I you know it is funny how certain people do come you know come up to me and say oh. You know, I see you in the current, <laughs> so it's it's nice to it's nice to have a venue in Pittsburgh again. Even though I'm not I'm not currently drawing local cartoons, but that may come back sometime. That'd be great, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, we won't have a. Conversation. We can talk about that later. Yeah, right? we won't have a conversation later with you about that, Rob. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but let's let's go a little bit before. I mean, everyone, a lot of people know your recent story, but I like to always kind of get in and talk a little bit about how somebody, you know, well before you got to this post, because that situation let's talk about how you got into political cartooning a little bit um i know that you know in uh 1984 you were an intern at the uh pittsburgh press um but how did you was art something that was always important to you and how did that sort of you did you develop that yeah so i was always cartooning from the time i was a little kid but then when i got into high school uh i i discovered fine art and i didn't have as much time to explore the fine art so when i got to college i became an art major, and um, my family, I was born in Philly, but my family moved to Oklahoma, so I was I was going to art school in Oklahoma, which is, you know, uh, they're not known for their art schools, let's just put it that way. Uh, and so when my dad moved to Pittsburgh, I, I, I discovered CMU, so it was too late to go for undergrad, but then I got into graduate school as a, a in the MFA program for painting, so I ended up uh, doing my master's at CMU, and um, and and that was just because I wanted to continue to explore fine art. I knew that I was going to do cartooning in some form right. as an adult, but I also thought, well, if if I have to, I can fall back on teaching, you know, uh, or something else. And so, I, and I was kind of just delaying the inevitable, which is you're going to have to get a job at some point. So, right. <laughs> so graduate school was sort of my delay, but then. Uh, while I was in grad school, uh, oh, and, and by the way, when I was at uh, Oklahoma State and also at a, a smaller school in Oklahoma, I drew editorial cartoons for the paper. That's when I first started doing the editorial cartoons because I had gone to the, uh, this was at OSU in Stillwater, I had gone to the O Collegian uh, and, and said, do you need any cartoon illustration? And they said, well, not, not illustration, but we do need a political cartoonist this semester. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. And the first cartoon ran on the front page, and it got you know letters on both sides of the issue, and so I was like, "Wow, this is cool," you know. So that that was the beginning, and then uh, and then my last year in graduate school, I started uh, I started doing cartoons again because I thought, well, 
and I and I really didn't tell my professors I was a cartoonist because I right. thought they would look it would look down on it. But then I then I started uh, doing more cartoons, and and eventually uh, that led to the internship. And so I wanted to actually you you mentioned that I wanted to ask you about that because I, I know folks on both sides of the I know folks who are cartoonists, and I know folks who are also um, fine art, you know, concentrate on fine art and so forth. Did you find a lot of, uh, there was a lot of bias in that community toward cartoonists and, and was cart was, was drawing cartoons, creating cartoons. Was that something that was maybe looked at maybe like a second tier or something like that or. Yeah. It, it, I think people thought of it as not as fine art, but more as, uh, you know, either a craft or a hobby or, yeah. or something, you know, humorous illustration. And, you know, things have changed. I mean, that, that, that was, uh, you know, 30 some years ago. So things have changed. And, and I think now it's much more accepted as a true uh, art form. And, and it's, you know, Robert Crumb has been in the Carnegie International. And there have been many other uh, exhibits and, and museums that have displayed cartoons. So I think now it's more of an accepted art form. Uh, but at the time, yeah, it was still looked down upon. And I'm sure there are still some art historians who look down on it. But, um, but yeah, it has changed. Right. Is there, at, at what point did you, did you start to develop sort of your own style, both in terms of voice and in terms of the type of types of characters that you draw? I mean, was that something that started way back or is that something that as you started, um, cartooning more, um, in college? So I guess, how did you, how did you get to sort of where you are in terms of developing your voice, both politically and, and both the, the imagery that, that you draw? Yeah, you know, if you look at some of my really early cartoons when I first started at the Pittsburgh Press was where I got my internship. Um, I uh, my stuff was very different than it is now. I think it, it was sort of a combination of, you know, and 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 actually before that I was sort of trying to draw like Jack Davis of Mad Magazine. Mm -hmm. So um, so the political cartooning I, I started to discover the work of uh, Jeff McNally and uh, Pat Oliphant, and they were big influences on me. So. So my, my style became sort of an amalgamation of, of the two of them and me, um, and, and that's kind of how that happened. But it took several years before I really felt like, okay, this is my style. Uh, the same thing happened with my politics, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I came from Oklahoma where everybody was conservative, and I was just sort of like, you know, okay, whatever. Right. Uh, although, although I do remember, you know, even during that time, this was the 70s, you know, my dad uh, was was a Democrat, and and he was upset about Watergate, and he he forced me to sit down and watch the Watergate <laughs> hearings, and I wanted to watch Gilligan's Island. You know? But uh, but anyway, he he was um, he was always interested in politics, and I think that's what sort of started me. But um, but but I do I do I do remember that when I first started at the paper, I you know it's a struggle to sort of figure out. What you, how you feel. Most people can go through life and not necessarily, you know, decide how they feel about the Middle East or, you know, or abortion even. I right. mean, some, some people may maybe just say, well, whatever you want to do. But, um, but I found that as a political cartoonist drawing every day, you had, you really had to kind of decide where you stood. And I started to realize as these topics would come up and I would, I would be forced to look at how I felt that, that I was, a, I was more of a liberal, um, but in the beginning, if you looked at my cartoons, you'd probably have trouble sort of, you know, nailing down exactly where I was in the first couple of years. Um, but, but that's also because I was working for, a, a, you know, the press was a little bit more moderate, you know, mm -hmm. than, more moderate than the Post-Gazette. 
that's actually a perfect segue. So, um, so let, let's talk a little bit about, um, sort of your ascension at the Post-Gazette. So, um, 1993, I believe you're, you're, you're hired as the, um, as the, as the editorial cartoonist there. Um, the second, the second editorial cartoonist. So they already had Tim Menise. Oh, right. And sure. Then, and then when the strike, the big strike happened, uh, you know, the papers, uh, you know, a, a kind way of saying it is that they merged, right. but, uh, <laughs> uh, you could say it might've been, you, you might be able to say it was a hostile takeover, but, um, but either way, they were combining staffs. They were, they, they basically let go half of the people at the press. So a lot of my friends didn't, didn't get a job, but they hired me, which I felt was very, uh, you know, a very wise thing to do, but also <laughs> unheard of in, in, uh, in the nineties, uh, when, when other cartoonists were losing their jobs and now, you know, some newspapers didn't have a cartoonist at all. And now we were hiring two, right. two liberals too. And so it wasn't like there was some balance or something. Tim and I, you know, we, we basically, have the same political slant. So, so, uh, Tim and East, did I mention his name? Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so we worked side by side. We, we alternated days and we, we each had, we, we both had cartoons in on Sunday, but we would swap the op-ed page for the sure. editorial page. And, um, and it was, it was great. And that lasted for 12 years. So this is the same publisher, you know, but, right. uh, but I, you know, I don't really understand what happened <laughs> and that's what and that's where that's kind of where obviously where we're going is is there i mean i think for someone on the outside looking in and someone who uh covers media and at that time i was i you know covered the post gazette and and all media really but we were certainly noticing uh, a change in the editorial pages even mm-hmm. from um you know even a couple of years before all of this happened we sort of noticed that there was a change. And then of course, um, someone sent me the, uh, the great, uh, John block, Donald Trump, uh, photo, um, from, right. from, from Donald right. plane. And, um, so, but even before, again, before that, you felt like there was a change coming. Did you notice from the inside when, and when the change happened? And I assume it came right from the top. I mean, I can't imagine it came from anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think that what happened was, I, you know, just and this is just from an outsider's point of view. You'd of have to ask John Robinson Block, the publisher, what what his thinking was. But I remember in 2010 when he he decided we were going to endorse uh, Tom Corbett for, right. for governor. Everybody was perplexed. You know, we had never, you know, we 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 did not believe in anything that he believed in. Right. And and so that was the first sign, and you know, uh, and then later there were a couple of other things, sort of minor things that, that sort of were red flags to me, just in conversation with him. But but then um, but then when yeah when when Trump uh, first announced that was that was the beginning of the end. I think you know people started to see that that you know a, a publisher who normally would, would was pretty hands off in terms of in, inserting his own personal bias into the page, um, was suddenly doing just that. So, um, you know, and then, and then of course, two years before I was fired, my, my editorial page editor who was being asked to pave the way for an endorsement of Trump said he couldn't do it. Right. There was a buyout on the table and he and the deputy editorial page editor, Susan Manella, they both, uh, and turned out my editor was Tom Wazaleski. The, the two of them left is sort of in protest. I mean, you know, that because of the changes that were happening. So, and it, it's, and I know of some other folks who stepped down from the editorial board um, because they weren't happy the way 
things things were going. Um, but and so, at what point do you start? It is um, so. I mean, just a, a quick recap for those maybe who who don't know. Um, right. of yeah, course. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. Yeah, in the I, right. Because yeah. I read, I read everything. I think oh, everybody else knows too. But so just a, so a quick recap. Um, uh, it was earlier this year. Um, you had several cartoons spiked by the Post Gazette, things that never got into the paper, as well as several sketches, several ideas. Correct that you had that right. Never right. So even. So what, yeah. what what happened was uh, was the the publisher hired Keith Burris. Or, uh, well, he he was already working for the Toledo Blade, our right. sister paper, but um, but the publisher brought him over to be the 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 editorial director of over both papers, which means he was now my boss. And so he became sort of the enforcer uh, for what John believed should be on the page. And so he started to kill my cartoons. Um, and, and usually I would have two or three a year killed. And in the three months that he was my boss, I had 18 cartoons or ideas killed. Right. And, um, and that's a lot <laughs> for anybody. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so that, that was the beginning of it. So over time it was sort of one or two a week. Uh, but then, but then, then this weird thing happened over the Memorial Day weekend where they killed two cartoons while I was out of town. And, right. and so then I get back to town, they kill another one. And then I'm really wondering what's going on. So I'm, I'm trying to ask them and they're, they're not really giving me any response. And, uh, and I work out of my home studio, so it's not like I can just walk into the publisher's office and say, hey, what up? Right. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, you know, but I'm calling and I'm, I'm sending emails and asking, you know, for an explanation. And, and I never really got one. But then, um, then uh, the Roseanne story happened. I saw sure. a cartoon. I think, okay, this one will probably get in. <clears throat> the first sketch was killed, which, which was fine, because I kind of expected it because it had Trump in it. But then the second one was about Ambien. Right. And so, uh, you know, I didn't think that one would be killed. I figured, and, and in fact, Keith Burris said yes, and he put it on the page, and it was set to run, and then the publisher came out later and said, no, we're going to we're gonna run a different Roseanne cartoon by our Toledo cartoonist. Yeah. And that, just, I think, I think it was just to, just to sort of stick it to me. I don't really, I can't really see any other reason. It was, it was a good cartoon. I don't, I don't see a problem with it. So I really do think he was just angry at me for some reason and, and decided that he was going to kill it. And so at that point, I wrote a long letter to the, you know, to the publisher and, and to Burris. And I, you know, sort of spelling out, I've been there for 25 years. What, you know, why are you treating me this way? And what, what's happening here? You know, talk yeah. to me. And, uh, and I'm sure there's a way we can work this out, um, you know, uh, for the future and, and, you know, put me on, I was suggesting that they put me on the op-ed page, kind of like we did when Tim and Issa and I would switch. Sure. And, uh, and, and, and then they could run conservatives on the editorial page if they really wanted to keep that spot for their own views. But, um, but anyway, so that was sort of the beginning of the end. And then I, I did two more cartoons that got killed. Uh, two weeks later I was fired. What kind of relationship? Uh, I, I yeah. took vacation in between because, sure. because, because once they killed all those cartoons, I was like, I don't know what's happening. So I, I sort of took my vacation days until they, you know, would talk to me. Right. And, and uh, they didn't really talk to me. They just sent the, the human uh, resources director over to, to talk to me. But what sorry about that bell. Sorry about no. that bell. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, 
That's okay. I figured it was either the feeding alarm system is, is, oh. is malfunctioning here. I figured it was either feeding time or or or, or <laughs> it's time to start the second round. Maybe I wasn't sure. So <laughs> it's beer o'clock. <laughs> beer exactly. Um, what kind of relationship did you have with Jr. Block, or would you say did you have a relationship with Jr. Block other than publisher uh, employee? Did you? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I, I mean, we had a we had a cordial, uh, you know, collegial relationship, and I, I could always, you know, talk to him when I needed to. I'd call him up, or if there was a problem with the cartoon, and and I even, I, you know, uh, back in in 2015 when when it became clear that he was interested in Trump, um, we had two different meetings, one in 2016 and one in 2017, where I went into his office and we sat down for an hour and talked about everything from politics to history to, you know, to Trump. And, and, you know, we sort of agreed on a, how to proceed because I knew that he didn't like the Trump cartoons, but he also knew that I am a cartoonist and I have to draw Trump. So, well, you know, one of the, one of the agreements we had was that um, the way it had always worked is if they killed something, I could still send it out for syndication. And when it looked like they were going to start killing more of them, I, I, I sort of made that clear that, well, uh, I hope that's still our arrangement because otherwise I won't have any Trump cartoons in the paper and, uh, or even out for syndication. Right. So, uh, you know, so he, he had, he had agreed to that and said, sure, we'll keep doing that. But, you know, he, we talked about not drawing Trump every single day and I agreed that that was fine. You know, uh, you know, my average is about two or three, uh, out of six, um, that I was drawing. And then, and then this year I, I, I went back down to five, which was my original number of cartoons, just, just to give myself Sundays off again. But, um, but even then I was only doing about two a week, but it still was too many, uh, apparently. Right. Do you think that, um, it's very strange. I think that, um, as far as, and one, one thing that, that I've had, you know, we've, I've talked about my issues obviously in the past as well, but, Right. One thing that one thing that I felt is that, and maybe you know, just want to get your opinion on this, is that things happen internally at a newspaper, and and you know, a newspaper that has, uh, they have a certain relationship with the public, a certain relationship with their readers, and I think their their um, the public, their readers, I think formulate something in their mind of who you are, and then you know, and what you're doing, and then there are things happening at the top though that are either slowly changing this or are um, very quickly, I think in, in your case, it seemed trying yeah. to, trying to change this, but they're not really being open with the public as far as, you know, they want to make these changes maybe, but they don't really actually want to own it, I guess, to the public. And that's what it seemed like in, in your situation was um, it was sort of happening slowly, but there was, you know, I mean, people can read what's going on on the, on the PG's editorial pages, but there was still no sort of, um, you know, this is who we are now, or this is kind of what's going on. Yeah, I think it, uh, I mean, I think that, that your story in the city paper was probably the first inkling that people might've had that, that, you know, things were changing. Um, when you, when you showed the photograph of him on Trump's plane, right. uh, but, but yeah, I agree. I, I think that it, you know, and, and, and that was one of the things that, that angered them, I think was that, you know, up to that point, I had not talked to the media, uh, you know, while they were killing all these cartoons. But then when they when they came back to me with this contract that was sort of ridiculous, um, then I thought, well, they're clearly not trying to keep me. So why am I, you know, being silent about the fact that they're killing cartoons? So I 
so that's when I went on Jake Tapper. And, uh, and it's true. It's because of all this, you know, sort of this cloud of, uh, let's keep it secret. Let's not yeah. tell anybody what's going on, even though everybody could see what was going on. Right. Um, you know, and so, so it was kind of ridiculous to, to think that, you know, that that wasn't eventually going to get out. And besides the, you know, the story had taken on a life of its own. And if I hadn't commented, you know, people still knew what was happening. And, and at that point I didn't comment on their, on what they were, you know, their, their negotiations or anything, because there hadn't been any, I just sort of stated matter of fact that, you know, they're killing the Trump cartoon. Right. And I'm not sure if, the, if this is two different things, the contract you just alluded to, but so when things came to an end, they also, and I only learned this because Rob and I were on a panel together at Robert Morris, um, mm-hmm. I think last month, um, they offered you a severance package as well, correct? And, but in right, there, so the, the, contract it, yeah. came, the contract came first, which was, was just like, if you're going to continue as our cartoonist, you need to do this, 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 and this. And, and it was, you know, the worst, the worst one was you will now, you know, create cartoons by committee with John Block and, oh. and Keith Burris. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and then the other thing was just that, you know, they, they could continue to, you know, kill everything that they wanted and not pay me for cartoons that weren't in the paper, you know, okay. which, was, which was different. Like, so if they did kill one, um, they could, they could choose not to pay me. So, so there were a lot of things. There were 11 little points that they made and, and it really was, um, it was not a friendly document. And I just felt like, you know, we could have sat down and talked about this. I, I didn't understand why they were, uh, you know, why they were being so harsh. So, so that's when I went on CNN, but, um, but that was, that was 10 days before I got fired. Right. Uh, then there was, then there was this sort of silence, you know, for while everybody was, you know, sort of kind of conjuring up what was going to happen next. And then I, I went in, yes. And they, and they simply offered me severance, uh, severance package, uh, that I didn't sign because it had an egregious, uh, non-disclosure agreement as well as, um, you know, a, a paragraph about owning every cartoon that I had ever drawn for them. So they would own the rights to everything. I wouldn't be able to do a book. I wouldn't be able to do, you know, talk about them on, on the air, um, including the ones that, that weren't published. So, right. uh, so I said no to that. And, and then they offered me a freelance contract, which was also an insult. So I didn't sign that yeah. either. So I got nothing. I walked away with just, you know, my integrity, but I didn't really, um, I mean, that's why I'm able to talk to you today because about this, this story, because I didn't sign a, a, a non-disparagement. Yeah. And that's a, I know that that's, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a tough, tough decision to make. But at the end of the day, I think when you're, you know, when you're, you know, it, it, it's hard, I think it, people maybe don't realize it's, you know, while it's easy to ideologically say, this is ridiculous, I'm not going to go. It, there's still a lot that goes on when you're like, okay, now I either do this or it's my job. And so um, yeah. it's, it's a tough, believe me, it, it, as you know, it's a, it's a tough decision to just sort of, well, well, and, and so, so many of my colleagues have lost their jobs for financial reasons. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, sometimes the financial reasons were just a, a cloud sure. to sort of cover the idea that they didn't like their cartoons, but, um, and similar to me, but, but, but it, there wasn't any big issue like Trump or anything to, to sort of, uh, you know, drape it in. So, so a lot of them, you know, ended up signing, uh, you know, the, the, the severance, uh, agreement because they needed the, the, the six months pay and they really didn't want to, you know, uh, jeopardize, you know, that while they looked for other, other work. This is the Pittsburgh current podcast. And we are talking to Rob Rogers, 
former uh, car, uh, editorial cartoonist of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, current editorial cartoonist, uh, whose work can be found in the Pittsburgh Current. Issue 7 of the Pittsburgh Current is out this week. We have our election issue. Um, uh, we have artist DJ Kaufman, uh, who took his own sort of um, take on Trump and the uh, maybe possibly impending blue wave. Um, you can follow yeah, us. Yeah, on- <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> Here's open, right? Um, you yeah. can you can follow us on the socials at Pittsburgh at PGH Current on all the social media. Um, so, Rob, getting back to um, let's talk about um, <clears throat> let's talk about sort of your Donald Trump, your card, the Donald Trump that 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 you draw. You had um, actually you had a great cartoon today that it can it's up live now on. Um, PittsburghCurrent.com, um, and it involves the situation yesterday with um, several bombs and, and, and packages being left or sent to uh, various politicians, including you know uh, President Barack Obama and um, uh, Hillary Clinton, and and one was sent to CNN. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there's so then there's your your cartoon today. What was sort of um, so you know you pro- you probably know you have to do something about this for today. So what is your process when you when you're creating something like that? Excuse me for one second. Sure. Uh, I'm Marco Rubio over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I had another cartoon idea in mind when that when that story broke and I was sort of figuring out how I was going to draw that and then <clears throat> the story was obviously playing out in front of me on, on, on the news. So, so what I did was I, I sort of thought I, I waited a little bit just to make sure that there was nothing, there was no danger, at least at that moment, um, before commenting, because one of the worst things you can do is have a cartoon all finished and then you find out people died and then you have to sort of backtrack because right. maybe it was insensitive, maybe it was insensitive or, or you have to change it or something. But, um, <clears throat> in this case, I felt like even if one of them had gone off, you know, the cartoon still held up because it was talking more about uh, Trump's, you know, rhetoric and, and how he's sort of been so toxic and, and even even at inciting violence among his rallies and, and sort of uh, and sort of violence against the media. So so I was I was uh, I was sort of working on it and I thought, well, you know, uh, how do you, you know, how, how does someone figure out how to do a pipe bomb. Well, you know, all you have to do is watch any number of shows like, you know, <laughs> right. on television to realize, oh, they get it off the internet, you know. So I thought, well, you know, what would be the recipe, you know, for this bomb? And of course, that's that's how I sort of, you know, came up with the, the mm-hmm. concept. But, uh, but um, yeah, and then in terms of how it's laid out, I just, you know, that's just sort of a visual thing that I that I decided I would do it in this, you know, as, a, as an equation, you know, this plus this equals... Boom. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, so you've been, again, you've been in this business a long time. And so there was a time when I think when, when journalists, um, had to be a little more, um, well, we were, we were urged to be a little more careful in terms of, um, for example, obviously I heard a lot yesterday in your cartoon as well, is that Trump's rhetoric is, most likely some sort of fuel for this fire and not just this incident, but a lot of other things, but there was probably a time when you maybe wouldn't necessarily come right out and say that because, you know, there, you know, it might, it might, might've been seen as, you know, not fair to do or not fair to, but 
um, I think in this climate, it, it's almost like we kind of have to sort of take these steps and be, I think, even more sort of brazen and say without a shadow of the doubt what kind, you know, what we feel is going on in in this time because the rhetoric from the White House is so out there, I guess, to say the least. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, your point is well taken. There, there was a more civil time in this right. country that where, where, where even the cartoons were, were addressing issues that were, you know, a little more subtle, uh, when, when, you know, when Congress, when the, when the GOP would, would pass a bill that would hurt, you know, poor people, for instance, um, they would, they wouldn't come right out and, and yell and scream at the top of, at the rooftops, you know, saying we're, we're taking away your Medicare or we're, we're, you know, we're hurting the poor. They would, they would do it in a very, you know, polite way and, and talk about how this is helping the economy and the debt and all of that. And so, you, you know, then your cartoon would have to sort of reflect that right. that process. But there is no process anymore because everybody's given up on, you know, on the niceties and everybody's just, you know, it's a brawl. It's it's uh, it's crazy. And so and so I, the hardest thing about being a political cartoonist in this time is that, you know, we rely on exaggeration and caricature uh, to get a point across. And and we have to we have to sort of we have to go to that crazy place to make a point about, you know, something that's not as crazy as we're depicting. Right. But with, with Trump, everything goes right to the crazy place before <laughs> we even have a chance to draw it. Right. And so, and so it's sort of like, how do you, how do you exaggerate him? He's, he's right. already so exaggerated. And, and that's when, that's what I want to specifically ask you about it. So when you, when you set out to draw Trump, especially when it's like kind of a, a, the full body Trump with the long sort of snaky arms and so forth. Where, where did you, where did, where did your sort of representation of Trump and, and granted it changes from time to time based on the cartoon, sure. but sure. that seems to be sort of your, your, your kind of go-to um, sort of evil ish Trump. Yeah. Uh, where did that come from? Uh, well, I think it just came from, um, you know, uh, so many, interviews and watching him, you know, watching him on television so, so often it, it you know, um, I, I, I looked back at some of my old cartoons of Trump, uh, that I had done when he was on the apprentice and that was sort of a pop culture story. And I was addressing it, you know, in, in the paper and, uh, and the caricature was very different then. I, I really didn't quite have him down the way I do now. Yeah. But, um, one of the things that he reminds me of, like, like in, in, in some of my cartoons, I, I, he reminds me of the Grinch, if the Grinch were a lot heavier, you know, <laughs> uh, standing over little Cindy Lou, who in that one cartoon that I drew of him, like looking at the little kid in the cage. Right. Um, that's kind of what I was thinking of. And he, he does sort of remind me of the Grinch because he's just such a, a despicable kind of, uh, you know, repugnant character. And, um, and so I think it just evolved over, over, uh, you know, time, but, uh, but once I sort of hit on it, I just I just kept drawing him that way. So, and and that that was that was one of the that was one of the cartoons that that was spiked, correct? The one with the him looking over the the, the little girl in the cage. No, actually, that was the first cartoon that I drew as an unemployed cartoonist. Correct. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yes, correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we ran that one. Absolutely, I remember yeah. that. Um, but I wanted to one thing I wanted to just go back to about some of the cartoons that got spiked, and and you mentioned earlier that you think that, for example, the 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 Klansman um, who right. was uh, talking about the amb it was Ambien um, 
that was responsible for his for his hate. Um, that that one was right. spiked maybe because they were just trying to take a little, um, you know, just sort of making it personal and, and and sort of taking taking that out on you. But you had other cartoons spiked that had nothing to do with the president. You criticize. It seemed like when you criticized the NFL. You mm-hmm. criticize race, uh, you know, sort of right. some of the, the racial issues. Well, so, you know, I, yeah. I, I would say all you have to do is look back at the editorial that they wrote on Martin Luther King Day right. that defended Trump's, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on the air, but <laughs> his <laughs> comments about African nations. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we, def- you know, the Post-Gazette, Keith Burris wrote that editorial. He defended uh, Trump's comments and uh, and it was it was roundly uh, you know denounced and and uh, and everybody from the Washington Post to the Heinz Foundation uh, found it totally offensive. Right. And so you don't have to look further than that really to understand that maybe some of the cartoons I drew about race were also hitting too close to home for him. Right. Uh, for the publisher uh, or for you know Burris. And that was that was of course uh, the, the the column was called uh, uh, well I don't remember what it was called reason, but I, reason is racism yes and it had the line that racism was the the, the new McCarthyism which was right fantastic right. Uh, great line great line Keith actually um, just kidding um, so <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure that we're clear so the um, I want to get to what you're doing now but I just want to get your thoughts just a little bit about. Um, the Post Gazette um, named their new editorial cartoonist uh, Steve Kelly um, a, a day or two ago, and um, he has he called he he likens himself as um, kind of right of center. I would a little farther right of center, I think, from from some of the things that I've that I've seen certainly. Um, yeah. But what what do you what do you think about that move? I mean, certainly, obviously, it seems as though he fits in more with with what they're looking to do with their editorial pages. Um, but again, some of the things I saw with him, there were, I mean, there were a lot of, um, you know, Hillary Clinton, um, cartoons, anti Hillary Clinton cartoons, but then there were also, um, again, talking about race. Uh, he had the, he had, uh, he had a Colin Kaepernick cartoon, a couple Colin Kaepernick cartoons, which were, um, just sort of downplaying or, or sort of making fun of that whole situation. Um, but what what is what are your thoughts that uh, that the PG decided to go or to pick Steve Kelly as as your replacement? You know, Steve and I have been friends for over thirty years, and and I've known him. We haven't spoken in in the last few years, mm-hmm. so uh, this was a surprise to me. I didn't know they were they were even going to hire anybody. Um, I think he's a talented cartoonist. You know, we have different political views, but um, but I you know I do think that he is uh, you know. A, a really good cartoonist. Uh, that said, I don't think that, um, you know, hiring a cartoonist necessarily, you know, uh, you know, erases what the, what the post-gazette did to me. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, a wife beater, uh, uh, you know, trying to rehabilitate himself by getting remarried and saying, see, you know, I'm fine. Uh, but it's, it's, it, you know, they still treated me horribly. So I really hope they treat him better. But, um, uh, you know, I think that because because one of the things that I was seeing online is some of my cartooning colleagues were saying, well, at least they hired, you know, they filled the position. That's good. Right. And and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but um, anyway, I you know, so I don't really have any more any more to say about it than that. But, yeah. uh, um, you know, it is it is an odd thing, because in, in this day and age, uh, you know, most of the time those jobs do go unfilled. 
Right. Um, and so let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, wrapping up here, talk a little bit about, about what you're up to. I mean, you've, you've had a lot go on since, um, since this all happened. I'm not sure yeah. how well they pay the bills, but you had some really awesome things. I'm <laughs> just kidding. You had some really awesome things. Have a couple things. You had, um, you had an exhibit. Um, right. in DC right. of the spiked cartoons, which, um, uh, talk a little bit about that. That would, that had to be, um, that had to be, that'd be quite an honor. I mean, that was, that was, really- Oh yeah, it, it was. I mean, the Corcoran used to be a museum and yeah. now it's part of George Washington university. But, um, but when they called me, I, of course I was, you know, flabbergasted, but, yeah. uh, very, very honored. And, uh, and they did a really nice job of the exhibit and, um, and we got a great crowd at the, the opening night. And I was surprised that, you know, if people were coming up to me, you know, who who weren't from Pittsburgh, who really didn't know me, but yeah. they were saying, you know, we're, we're, you know, it was terrible what happened to you and we're, and we're very proud of how you handled it. And so that was nice. That was really nice to see. Um, and then uh, but it was also uh, a good chance for them to have discussions with their students about about, you know, the free press and, and what it means to have free speech. And, and you know, even though this is sort of not exactly a free speech issue in the sense that in the sense that the newspaper is free to, you know, print whatever they want. Right. Uh, that's free speech. But it still brought up issues of, of diversity of opinion and and the kind, you know, and suppressing uh, voices. Uh, so so that was that was an interesting. I did a panel there and a discussion there. And um, and that was great. So that was one thing. Um, uh, was there something? And my syndication and then, is, is yes. still going on. Uh, I also started a Patreon page, which is which is uh, sort of a new thing for me. But uh, a lot of artists and musicians have have done it over the years, and it's just a way for for your fans to subscribe uh, to you in a way where they can get little sneak peeks at, at sketches and behind the scenes stuff. But they can also support you, almost like public television or right. something like that. So so. Uh, you know, you can look at my Patreon page. Uh, if you go to my website, there's a button on there, uh, robrogers.com. And you have a, you're working on a, you have a new book coming out, "Enemy of the People: A Cartoonist in Trump's America." What's uh, so? What's the what's the theme here? How how are you? Um, is this is this, is this basically telling what's your story? Theme? No, I <laughs> not what's the theme. I'm the sorry. Title says it all. Right, right, right. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> no, I no, mean. So sorry. is this is this is this isn't just an anthology of of your cartoons, right? This is you telling your story, correct? Yeah, this is, this is me telling the story of what happened. Uh, because I, you know, I've done a few talks, uh, since, you know, uh, since this happened and, uh, and people have, have wanted me to come in and speak about it. And so, and I'm, and I'm, um, you know, it, it's comforting to know that, that other people are equally as horrified as I am about how I was treated and, yeah. and how this thing went down. So, um, and, and, so, so I decided that it, it would be interesting to kind of, you know, write some of that stuff out again, even though, even though I've told the story on the news several times, but, um, there's not really that much new in the book in terms of the story, except that I did a couple of, uh, long form comics, uh, one that hasn't been seen at all yet. Mm-hmm. One that was on the nib, uh, dot, the nib.com where I talked about the firing. Right. Um, and, um, uh, and so, but then I, but then I also, have gone back and and done done a, a couple of chapters on on the three years of Trump, you know the the, the you know candidate Trump, and then the first two years of his presidency, uh, where I show the cartoons and talk about them. So there's there's more in there than just an anthology, but it does have you know it does have my Trump yeah. cartoons as well. 
No, that's great. That's great. And and, and what are you? Do you plan on altering at all your your like what you're doing? Or do you still plan on just political car- doing political cartooning? Or does not how now having a daily gig have have is it opened you up to maybe doing any other kind of projects? Maybe like sort of dream projects or something that you had down the line. Yeah, that's a great question because um, you know one of the uh, that long form comic at the end of yeah. that the chapter talks about what now you know like uh, you know what am I going to do now and so and so that is something that I've been thinking a lot about and and having the the you know sort of the extra days of the week to work on freelance projects and it does give me some time to really think about what might be next for me and I and I have always dreamed about doing a graphic novel. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure <laughs> I have it in me to, to, to really sit down and, and do all that work. But, but it is, it, it, that, that, that would be one thing. Um, you know, I've always, you know, I do have other, other things to work on. Um, I, I, I'm a musician and, I, and a mm-hmm. songwriter. So, so I've always thought about spending more time doing that, but, yeah. um, but yeah, but if, but if, you know, uh, if a major newspaper, uh, you know, came to me tomorrow, I would think seriously about it. But I would also consider, you know, what what could be next uh, before taking another job. Absolutely. Um, our guest has been Rob Rogers, editorial cartoonist, former editorial cartoonist of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Rob, thank you for coming on the show. But not only that, thank you for continuing to tell your story, because, again, I think it's important that we continue to talk about these things. So hopefully um, they don't happen as much down the line, or at least uh, folks' eyes are, are are more open as to uh, you know these things can happen. So I really appreciate not just your great work as a cartoonist, but also uh, your speaking up and and um, getting the word out yeah, kind I, of how how things are cha- are changing in journalism. Thanks. I really think that satire right now is more important than ever. Uh, we're living in such a weird time when telling the truth makes you uh, part of the resistance. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, right. you know, so I think it's, it's important for everybody to, to speak out. Absolutely. Rob Rogers. Thank you very much. Rob Rogers.com to keep up with Rob and his new book, enemy of the people, a cartoonist in Trump's America coming very soon. Thank you, Rob. Yep. Thank you. I, uh, Bethany, uh, Rue are a, Associate publisher, <laughs> and you have to say it like that all the time. Associate publisher <laughs> is with us. Um, so we're going to talk about um, what's coming for the weekend, but also we're just going to talk about uh, this week's issue a little more. I think mm-hmm. in depth. I think it's. Uh, um, I think that every time like we see, I, we're closer now to uh, double digits in issues. Uh, we're almost coming up. We're closer to issue 10 than we were to issue one. So we are that's kind of interesting. We are. Um, thing. yeah. And on, I know you held this up before, but if, if you haven't had a chance yet to see DJ's work, he is the artist that also did our Frank C, our very first ever yeah. cover. Um, <clears throat> so I think if this is, uh, I don't know if I like this better. I love them equally, but this one, I just, I really have a soft spot for this. Yeah. Part. And, and the great thing is, you know, I talked to DJ about, um, uh, I talked to DJ about doing something and, and I had a very stupid loose idea. And um, DJ said, he's very nice. He goes, oh, let me think about that. And he comes back with something that was, you know, and you, you just couldn't have asked for a better um, election guide cover, I think, especially given, given the times now, but you want to check out our election guide, um, either pick up a copy. Uh, our handy dandy map is on our website. Uh, or you can look at it at pittsburghcurrent.com. We also have a digital issue on there. If yep. you like to flip through the paper, but you don't actually want to leave your home, which I get, believe me, I get. So that's awesome. You can do that as well. Um, 
So, Bethany, what's going on this weekend? Anything uh, fun that you see on the horizon? Anything maybe that involves running uh, on um, the horizon? There, there <laughs> might be. Uh, so when I'm not associate publishing Pittsburgh Current, there is a 5K that I like to race direct. And sorry, sir, I didn't know we were talking about this. Right? I had some links queued up for you. Uh, it's Hell on Hills, the world's steepest 5K. It's the city's only Halloween 5K. It's the Saturday 8 a.m. in Beachview. Our starting line is Canton Avenue, which is the steepest, officially the steepest street in the United States. Um, in my heart, it's the steepest street in the universe. Um, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. You could still sign up to run online right now. You could walk up and, and sign up on registration day. Costumes are encouraged. There's prizes for the winners. We've got free beer at the finish line, thanks to our friends at Enix Brewing. Um, and there's music, and it's a very festival-like atmosphere. People are just so happy to survive the race that we celebrate <laughs> at the end. So that's going on this Saturday. So yes, please, if you are the running type or the walking type, yeah. come out and, and see us. And I would say this, even even if you weren't my my partner and yeah. my friend, yeah. uh, Capt oh, Captain, my captain, <laughs> I would still, this is a u really unique event. There's not a whole lot of things like this. Um, Nothing like this race that goes on in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. we I actually offered to, for promotional material, I offered to strap on a GoPro and run <laughs> Canton Avenue, run, to do Canton <laughs> Avenue for Bethany, but we figured uh, we weren't sure if the old... Well, uh, the, the gentleman that run, that ran, Matt Lipschitz, he actually won the first and second year, is going to be wearing a GoPro. So we will have footage nice. of our... I'm assuming... You know, I, mean, I think we'll have some challengers because we do have a $100 gift card for the male and female winners from Fleet nice. Feet. Um, so I think, um, but he, he broke 19 minutes last year. Wow. So, uh, he will be wearing a GoPro and we'll have that footage up soon. So yeah, absolutely. It's a awesome. great, it's a great little city event. Um, and then also you can kind of preview where, um, Toll and FX's Halloween bash is going to be, which is coming up Wednesday, uh, here in Beachview, there's going to be Lucha Libre wrestling, which is different. I learned now from, uh, Luchador, Lucha Libre is Puerto Rican wrestling. There's going to be food and music. So if you're not, um, busy Halloween night because like there's really nothing else going on, right? Yeah. It's a totally boring night. Uh, come out and and party with us in uh, Tolan Effects. Yeah, and there's a family friendly uh, portion, which is uh, the parade, and yeah, there's a parade. There's trunk or treating, which a bunch of people pull up their cars. Yeah. And Normally, you don't want to take candy out of a person's trunk. That like, happened, randomly that happened to me once when I was 11. Yeah. But nah. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously, and check out our event listings online. There's always a ton of stuff going on. Um, so uh, well, we also have our election night watch party. Yes. This is going to be huge. If you are new to being engaged in politics, and I do feel like there's a ton of people that are just, you know, I've recently kind of come into getting passionate about it. Um, come and hang out with us. This is, I mean, anybody could come and hang out with us, but we really, uh, we're going to have a great time. Lexi and her her team at the Incline are going to be reporting live. Charlie and his team are going to be reporting live. Uh, Sorgatron Media is going to be there. We're going to be podcasting live from yes. local Pittsburgh on Carson Street. So election night, uh, hopefully <clears throat> we'll have uh, that blue wave to celebrate, but regardless, we are going to make engaging in politics a really good time. So come party with us election night. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, there's a, there's, it's going to be, even if the event wasn't going to be fun, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, surprise. It's nice to watch. I think it's going to be fun or it's going to be either fun to watch these results come in with friends or it's going to be, at least you can, um, have someone to cry with if, yeah. things, if things don't go, go your particular way. Yeah. Okay. Um, but one thing finally, I guess to end today, one thing that Bethany and I want to talk about to our, um, to our readers and our, our podcast audience is, uh, we have a campaign called Honeycomb. Uh, we have a Honeycomb finance campaign. Mm -hmm. And um, what this is, and Bethany can explain a little, mm -hmm. uh, not a little better, but a whole lot better than me, is we're basically 
asking you to invest in us. We're not no. asking you to give us money. We're asking you to No, we already did us. that. Yeah, we already yeah, gave us money. <laughs> now <laughs> we're going to let your money work yeah. for you. Yeah, so it's, honey, it's Honeycomb Credit. Um, and you could go to our campaign page. It's honeycombcredit.com slash current. Um, and, and Honeycomb is a local Pittsburgh startup. So it's very yeah. much so startups helping startups. Um, it's a crowd investment kind of model, right? So <clears throat> you... Uh, are making an investment in the Pittsburgh current. You are, you know, for your, you will get your money back, you know, with the return on that. Right. Um, and that is really you becoming a part of the paper, which uh, we, we want all of you to be a part of the paper, not physically. Right. But well, well, yeah, no, physically. <laughs> um, and there's perks too associated with it. Um, and I didn't even run any of these by you. So you're going to be as surprised as everybody else. Hit me. Yeah. But for the, um, for the early bird perk, we're going to host a catered dinner at our Beachview office for the early birders. <laughs> wow. So we want to come in. Don't worry, we're going to have a catered because I don't think nobody wants to eat anything we're cooking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've got some early bird perks. Uh, for our $500 perk, you're actually going to get a framed copy of this signed by you and DJ, which nice. I haven't told DJ that either, but I'm sure I'll be fine with it. Um, <laughs> Good thing DJ likes it. Yeah, right. So yeah, so there's a lot of great perks. And again, this is um, this is an investment opportunity to really support. And, and it's so, you know, Rob was just talking about he has a Patreon page and, you know, there's a lot of models now where, you know, papers are going back to subscription based, the online model, yeah. um, you know, the donor model. We just had the, the, uh, WESA fund drive where, you know, they're, they're right. So it's very, you know, one of the ways that I think local dynamic press is going to continue to succeed is with the support of people out there that believe in it. So believe in us, go to honeycombcredit.com slash current and literally be a part of what we're doing here. Absolutely. And this is the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. This is the ending of the Pittsburgh Current Follow Podcast. Follow us on all of our social media channels. At PGH Current. <laughs> and uh, then we'll be back next week uh, with a political guest of some kind. We have a couple of irons in the fire, maybe mm -hmm. something really awesome. Um, or maybe it'll just be me talking politics. But we, we'll have a, we'll have a political guest next week. It'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun and get you ready to get out and vote, vote, vote on just once. Don't, let's, yes. let's not start an investigation. <laughs> Vote on, no on November 6th. This is the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. Thanks for uh, watching. Bye, y'all. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.